Buddhist Geeks. Seriously Buddhist. Seriously Geeky. Episode 56, Insight Dialogue, Extending Meditation into Mutuality. What would it be like if we were able to extend the silence and clarity of the meditative mind into our relationships? Would this impact the way that we listen, what we say, and how we perceive reality? In this episode, Gregory Kramer, teacher of a unique interpersonal meditation called Insight Dialogue, shares with us his answers to these questions. Not only that, but he also tells us how it can be done. This is part two of a two-part series. This episode of Buddhist Geeks is sponsored by the Do No Harm Movement. To learn more about the Do No Harm Movement and to receive your free Do No Harm bumper sticker and wristband, please visit donoharm.us. Is it possible, and maybe this connects back to what you were saying earlier about what you'd noticed uh, in your students, is it possible to not really become aware of these things or begin to see them clearly in one's traditional practice because there's not much, much relationship happening uh, in the traditional practice environment. I mean, certainly I've done tons of retreat and uh, the only time there's conversation or mindful speaking is really at the end of a retreat for maybe a couple hours. And so it seems it could be possible that these things just would be missed or there's kind of like a blind spot there for mm-hmm. in the traditional way that that's usually approached. The short answer is I think that you've identified an actual uh, dynamic of traditional meditation, but we don't want to take that too quickly because it's also the case that cultivating uh, mindfulness and energy and, inquiry and so on in silent meditation does carry over into our interpersonal lives. Right. It just is less direct. Mm. And so it's not so much that one should do one kind of practice or the other over the other as much as to recognize that both have uh, value. And the fact is that interpersonal meditation properly engaged will reveal with an insistence and a depth the interpersonal hungers and fears and open to freedom and will do so very directly mm. whereas the inter the personal meditation the traditional meditation will do so but it'll be a less direct and this explains very well why you know many seasoned meditators will attend an insight dialogue retreat and you know, say that they've encountered a depth of practice and unburdening, unbinding, unlike their traditional retreats. Mm. So what is it like being on an Insight Dialogue retreat? Like what are, what are the kinds of things that you guys do? Well, the actual form of the retreat um, was inspired by the training I had, especially, for example, with Ajahn Sogan, a Thai teacher, very, very rigorous, very clear instructions and so on. Wake up early in the morning, meditate in silence for... Well, first I should say the whole retreat is, except for the dialogue sessions, is in silence. Mm. 
so that the mind can calm down, the old habits of speech can begin to be released, and so on. And so there's silence in the morning, silence at breakfast, silence after breakfast while people are taking their walks or cleaning up or doing their kitchen duties or whatever. And then when we gather again, there's still some more silent meditation, traditional sitting meditation. And then we'll engage in inside dialogue for several hours, interlaced with, you know, with some silence. And what that means is, you know, introducing the meditation instructions, the guidelines and some contemplation topics. And I can describe that in a moment, but to give you the overview, then at lunch, once again, we're in silence for eating. Another long period of silence afterwards for people to take their walks and relax and so on. Come back, a little more silent practice, back into dialogic meditation. Then come 5.30 or whatever, there's uh, another silent meal, usually a lighter meal, and then uh, some more silent time. And the evening is, uh, again, begins with silent practice, and then there could be a Dharma talk, and then sitting and walking until silent bed, or sometimes there'll be dialogue in the evenings, uh, depends on how long the retreat is or how the timing is worked out. But more often, it's a time of integrating what has gone on through the day because the work is quite deep and you want the mind, the heart to be able to settle again. And then you go to sleep in silence and wake up in silence and so on Mm. and back into the dialogue. So the actual way the practice unfolds in these roughly 9.30 to 12.30 in the morning and let's say 2.30 to 5.30 in the afternoon or, you know, it, it varies a half hour one way or another here and there, but... There's six basic meditation instructions. And the purpose of these instructions is really identical to traditional practice in that they provide the the guidance as to how do I meet the moment of experience. Mm. So you call these things up from memory or they become part of you and you don't even need to call them up as practice matures. Right. So, you know, not so actively anyway. The same way you would say, oh, I'm noticing the mind is thinking. I think I'll let that go and come back to noticing the breathing or to noticing bodily sensations or hearing or, or if you're into visualization, you know, I think I'll drop this thought and come back to the visualization or something like that. So it's, in that sense, it's very straightforward. And the, the surface level of each meditation instruction is quite simple which is intentional on my part, Mm -hmm. so that you can access it, so you can remember it, so you can have an easy index into the deeper levels, right? So, for example, the first meditation instruction is simply pause. to Stop for a moment. And at first, that's exactly exactly what it means. Mm -hmm. You know, let there be some spaces in your speaking where you wake up where you just come back to mindfulness, come home to the body, come home to the moment, come home to being present with the other person or people that you're with, to reflect. But you see that as practice deepens, that the pause also refers to non-clinging, to not clinging to whatever thought or emotion was present, and to notice the nature of clinging. And how do you meet that is actually the next guideline. How do you meet clinging? 
once you've established the pause, which is mindfulness, right? How do you meet what comes up in mindfulness, what presents itself? And again, the surface word is very simple, relax, pause, relax. And to relax is to not just notice the tensions in the body, right? Which is helpful, you know, if you notice your, your belly's tighter, your jaw's tighter, your face or something. It can be helpful to say, oh, maybe I can chill out a little bit, you know. But it's also the basic move of acceptance. So relax is accept, is to just receive that moment as it is. Because let's face it, you're sitting, let's just say it's with one other person, although that's by no means the only way, it, you know, we practice. Hmm. If you're sitting with another person in this stillness, it's a very unusual for us, to say the least, but it can be very challenging to all of these parts of ourselves that are either very hungry for the attention of that person that's sitting there, and so we get tense in our wanting and in our sort of happiness at having something met, you know, and on our desire for more, or we get very tense in that we don't want to be seen. You know, it's a little too, little too intimate here. Mm. You know, just uh, something, uh, something isn't comfortable. I want to get out, right? So you, this relax is to meet all of this with, with loving kindness, you know, with present moment acceptance just as it is. So pause, relax, and then the third meditation instruction is open, which is the, in traditional Vipassana terms, is the noticing of the internal, the external, and both the internal and the external, which is the relational. So it's the opening to include the other. My mindfulness is not just of me and my thoughts and my little shell of skin and closed self, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's opening to encompass the other and, and not just one other, the whole room. And ultimately it's boundlessness, spaciousness that just is open to the, to being, to the universe. But, you know, you do that slowly. Like I said, open is a very simple index into this, uh, uh, dissolving of the boundaries of a fabricated self. Pause, relax, open. So you, you're right there. Your meditation extends into mutuality mm. beyond this uh, more isolated sense. And then trust emergence is the fourth one. And so that's, you know, here we are in this mindful pause, accepting, relax, and spacious mind, open, pause, relax, open. But here we are in the world as it actually is, speaking and listening and, you know, we're talking about stuff like death, you know, or doubt or, uh, uh, or generosity or insight or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Here we are. And it's not still. It's not just placid. It's life as it really is, even though it, there's typically much greater tranquility than normal. But still, there's, there's encounter. How do we meet that dynamic fact of life? And trust emergence points us towards the flexibility, the adaptability, the turning towards impermanence. So to trust emergence is to trust or let go into the emergence and vanishing of phenomena.
Mm. Right? So it's about impermanence, right? Trust emerges. Let go into impermanence. You can't control it, and you just meet the moment with don't know mind. Mm. Here I am. What now? What now? Right on the edge of the moment. And then the last two are the pair of listen deeply, speak the truth. And just as the other four guidelines have this nuance and depth, listen deeply and speak the truth likewise unfold into quite a profound uh, opportunity to experience the relational moment that includes rather than excludes this speaking-listening relationship. Um, Listening, in fact, as the Quakers construe it, you know, listening is like a whole basis of the spiritual practice. Hmm. So it's this, again, this receptivity, uh, sensitivity, availability. And that is how we allow ourselves to be with each other. And then speaking the truth is, has about it a, uh, it's the subjective truth. You know, it's not just the truth of like, this is really how life is. It's my experience in this moment as it is appropriate and right to speak. So it has about it discernment. Sometimes it has the prophetic, you know, to speak what is not easy to speak but also the delicacy of bringing together this profound mindfulness, this quality of inquiry and deep tranquility with the dynamic fact of language, of words, and the power that that represents. And so you put all these together and you cultivate that over time I'm often interrupting people, ringing a bell, bringing them back into silence. Let them reestablish their practice. And then they go again. And then the one other element uh, that's important to know about is that sometimes it's very open dialogue, whatever happens. Most of the time, it's actually dialogue around contemplation themes or topics that are introduced by the teacher Mm -hmm. that help provide a reference point to go beneath the surface of our normal constructions. So that if I invite you to really, really think about, for example, oh, you know, the hindrances of uh, lust and anger and, uh, you know, sloth and torpor and doubt and agitation and so on. And to realize that these are simply covering up this wakeful heart, this clear mind. And, you know, do them one at a time and really say, how does, you know, what's awake underneath, underneath this anger, underneath this doubt? What's awake? To really meet that question might bring you beneath and beyond preconceptions about yourself, about the nature of of your own heart, your own mind, could bring you into a new relationship, a new understanding of what the hindrances are, could bring you in the encounter with another person in this fact into the shared human experience.
that it's not just you and you meet somewhere beyond or beneath or free of so many of the constructs with which it's like, hey, I know you or hey, you're a male or you're a female or you're this age and you know, let's have our usual conversations. It kind of helps cut through that. And likewise, death or illness or aging or the, the, the fact, the hard fact of cause and effect, karma, you know? Mm. So between the depth of the contemplations and the cultivation of meditation per se, the mindfulness, the tranquility, the concentration, and so on, there's a uh, moving beneath the uh, preconceptions, beneath the habits, beneath the confusion, into this latent wakefulness and compassion that is at the center our essence, our finer capacity. So that's a kind of an overview of you know over retreat, of course, over time, but that deepens. And, you can imagine that perhaps, you know, that day by day, one sinks more into being. That it's just not me in here and forget about you out there. It's just being. There's no distinction in the sense of I just have to generate my own concentration and whatever I do on retreat. You know, mm. I, have to do, I have to do me. You know, I have to take care of this thing. It's just being. And one enfolded within that is the full human experience of both the individual and the communal, the mutual. Seems like a unique approach to maybe somewhat opposite approach to how meditation retreats happen. The noble silence can be a good thing, but I often wonder if it's a way to avoid that interpersonal domain because, you know, it's usually distracting us. We're contracted in that situation. So, you know, when we go on retreat, we kind of shut that down to focus in on ourselves, which can be a good thing. But like what you're suggesting is rather than avoiding that domain, we can actually work with that in a contemplative way during the retreat. And we're getting more benefit from that. Well, I think that it, it goes both ways. I wouldn't say it's opposite in the sense of, um, right. you know, one, one has to be good. If one is good, the other has to be not good. Right, um, right. Yeah. I would say more that, it's inclusive because mm-hmm. it certainly includes silent and individual as well as mutual and speaking and listening with mm-hmm. that practice. Whereas perhaps the other is almost exclusively individually oriented. Mm, right. But as you say, there's tremendous wisdom to that as well mm-hmm. because we do fall into such constructing, um, confusing habits with other beings. And so sometimes just to get away from that and find the silence is absolutely essential and indeed forms the, the ground of insight dialogue. If there were no such individual practice, mm. if I were wise or smart enough, I'd have to invent such a practice, you know, the individual practice or the interpersonal practice couldn't come to be. And, you know, to the extent that clinging is clinging, you know, (laughs) suffering is suffering, you know, that kind of very straightforward. If you really get the felt sense of what grasping is like and how it hurts and how non-grasping is freeing, it doesn't matter what you're grasping, whether it's another person 
or trying to hold on to a beautiful sunset that's passing away right before your eyes. Either way, you recognize, if I try to hold on in this dynamic, changing, and complicated world, I'm going to hurt. If I learn to meet the world, you know, resting in the fluid and open awareness that is available to me at any time, I can be happy and I can be good. I will be a better person. I will be more kind, more generous, more compassionate for those who are still hurting. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.